Well, thank you guys. I guess you're glad to know this is the last um, week of What About Me. You're probably like, can we move on? Okay, I'm tired of knowing what I'm supposed to do. Oh, but I guess when we've been asking that question, really it's because we are implying that there's a response. You know, there's change that needs to happen. And so every week I've been thinking about that. Like, Lord, how are we supposed to position ourselves um, in, re- in response to this good news? And that's what we've said every week. How are we responding to the good news that we've been hearing, that we know, responding to the Gospels? And I think that when we have truly um, beheld who Jesus is and what he's done, um, we realize that... Um, that um, when he's laid his life down for our own, that we have a stance. There's a disposition, um, there's a posture, and there's a pose that we're supposed to take as believers, right? Otherwise, we're hearing and we're not changing anything about our lives. And so I know change can sometimes be difficult, but that's what we've been talking about. And it's pretty cool because... um, I went back over our podcast, and I think we're th- it was like 14, 16 weeks that we've been on this. You guys are like, yeah, we know. 14 or 16 weeks of what we're supposed to do. But um, this, these are some of the postures, just looking back, that we have been encouraging you as a body to take. A posture to persevere. A posture to sing. A posture to walk in grace. To surrender. To multiply. A posture to rejoice. To contend for the faith. A posture to follow Jesus at any cost. Is this all familiar? you remembering these, these teachings? A posture to chop away at bitterness. I think that got a few of us to chop away at that. A posture to be faithful. And last week, Tony taught about a posture of hope. It's a way we're positioning ourselves in response. And I love this. Our greatest response to the work and person of Jesus may not be in our be found in our words or our deeds, but by the way in which we posture our lives. It's going to be our greatest response to the things that we know and the things that have been revealed to us by God, through his word, through teaching, through corporate worship and prayer. It may not be in words and deeds, but the way that we're going to posture, the way we're going to position ourselves, what is our disposition going to be in our lives? And so today I want to bring up two two um, postures that I think are important. Um, I think that they're not taught a lot and there's a reason why, but I want to, I want to teach you guys today about humility and gratitude and they actually go hand in hand. It was interesting this summer. I was in a little book club with some ladies, um, just from various backgrounds. And we, um, one of the books that we read was humility by Andrew Murray. I'm going to push that. I pushed him last time I taught. Anybody remember that? I'm like, read Andrew Murray. So he's great. It was turn of the century theologian, teacher, pastor from South Africa. You can get your hands on anything that he writes. You're going to be encouraged. So we were uh, doing this study on humility. And, um, and he puts in there, even from 100 years ago, he says, you know, this is a topic that is not taught often in churches. It's just not. It's, this is a topic that is not being preached. It's not being encouraged. Humility is not being, encur- being encouraged. And I asked Tony, I said, do you remember ever hearing an intentional message on humility? And he's like, uh, no. I'm like, have you taught a message on humility? You know, and he, we, there's smatterings of the concept all throughout the word and our teachings, but has anyone really intentionally taught on humility? And let me tell you guys, I, when the Lord started stirring this in my heart to share it, I got really afraid because I was like, who teaches on humility? You know, it's kind of like when I was doing that study, there were so many times that I would read something and I'd want to go turn over and look at Tony and say it to him. Like it says right here in this book on humility. And as soon as I do that, I'm prideful, right? It just seemed uh, wrong. 
to, I felt like I needed to hold it close, you know, and it was reminded me of this quote. I think it might be from Benjamin Franklin that says, when we become aware of our humility, we've lost it. You know, as soon as you realize that you might be a little bit humble, you poof, you're prideful, you know? So I'm like, that's why pastors aren't teaching on this. Cause even as I was studying over the past couple of weeks about this topic, I was like, I would just start to grasp the idea of humility in such a way that I could communicate it. And I would be humbled. And the Lord would be like, prideful, prideful. And I was like, well, how am I supposed to teach humility, you know, and remain humble? And so I thought, I'm just going to take a purely scriptural approach to this. And you guys know that, um, that I have not worked out humility completely in my life. I try. So knowing, if you do know me, like that girl's prideful. She knew me t- teaching about humility. Well, I'm learning just like you. But I want you guys to turn to Psalms 95. It's one of my favorite psalms. I think I've read it over the years multiple times, um, even here. But I love it. I love it. And it's going to be our springboard for the teaching today. It says, Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. And I stopped and I marked that and I thought, That's Sunday morning service. That's Sunday mornings. That's why Sean, through the week, prays and asks the Lord, Lord, what songs do you want us to corporately gather and and worship and sing to you this week? That's why the musicians gather, because they see we need to come together. We need to shout joyfully. If you've ever wondered, if you're maybe new on the church scene or maybe old on the church scene, and you're like, now, why do we sing? What is the point of this? Why do we do too fast, three slow? You know? Why does it always end, you know, with crying, you know? (laughs) That was my Pentecostal upbringing anyway. I don't know about you guys. But this is church. Verses 1 and 2 is describing church for us. We have been commanded by the Lord to come and gather together and sing His praises. Amen? I mean, it's been something we've been called to do. And not just in this psalm. I think almost every psalm is going to mention something about shouting, singing, praising, worshiping, doing something to honor God with our lives, something, a tangible expression before him. So I love it. Tony has a podcast. Go back and listen to it about singing, taking a posture of singing. But then it goes on to say in verses three, four, and five, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also his. The sea is his for it was he who made it and his hands formed the dry land. And I love that these Three verses are tucked right in the middle of Psalms 95. Because lest you forgot or didn't know or understand why verses 1 and 2 are in there. Why are we supposed to sing for joy? In case you haven't encountered God in in other ways, you've at least encountered his creation. Have you not? Have you not looked at a Texas sky? Have you not seen a huge harvest moon? Have you not watched creation around you? Have you not stood at the edge of the ocean? Have you not been at the edge of a cliff and thought, what an amazing God? What an amazing God. So it says, just in case you forgot why he's worthy, on this basis alone, this guy is good. God is great. He is the king above all kings. For that basis alone, we come and we bring our praise. Amen? Amen. This is why. This is why we gather. But I want to hang out on verse 6 with you guys, 6 and 7. You guys look there. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. 
For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And I love this because I was looking at each word, trying to be a good student of the word, and I saw the word worship, bow, and kneel. And in our vernacular, in the American English language, that might translate all the same in our mind, to worship, to bow, or to kneel. But these words actually had three different meanings, and I think it's significant for us to to see what each word means. The word worship is the Hebrew word for, it's shakah, and it's a verb, and it means to bow down, prostrate before a superior. So that's the first picture I want you to get when it says to come. And come is the word, is an invitation. Come. Come and prostrate yourself before a superior God. That is our first posture of humility that we take before him. And I want to ask you guys today, how many of you have ever laid on your face before God? It's not a rhetorical question. (laughs) How many of you guys have ever laid on your face before God? He's superior. If you haven't, if you have not laid on your face before God, I'm urging you to do it urging you to get on your face before him. That is our first posture. The second word, bow and down, are actually the same word in the Hebrew, and it's the word karah. And it means to bend, to kneel, to sink to one's knees in reverence. To sink to your knees, to drop to your knees out of such reverence. You guys see in the different picture there? There's that prostrate before the Lord, and then there's that come and kneel It's another posture that we take. We're reverencing him. We're in awe of of him. It's a holy fear of the Lord because of how good and great and awesome that he is. And then this last word, kneel. And I thought, surely they don't have another word for it. I thought kneel was going to be kneel. And it was the most surprising of all. This word is Barak. And maybe that's familiar for some of you guys. Not because of our president. Although... It is from the same word. It means blessing, to bless. Isn't that a beautiful thought? When we come before the Lord, we prostrate ourselves before him. We kneel, we drop to our knees in reverence for him. We bend our knees, we kneel for the blessing. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It reminded me in Psalms uh, 138, or is that right? Yeah, 138, 6. It says, For the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though he's high up, he's exalted. He's a great God. He's bigger than we can imagine. My kids think that when God is big, they picture like giant. You know what I mean? Like enormous giant. Did you guys do that when you were little? So then when you're like, have him come live in your heart, they're like, how's he going to fit? And so when we say he's got the whole world in his hand, they're picturing huge, giant God. And so their idea of fear and reverence is out of his hugeness. So making that transition from, okay, he's not actually a giant. We were created in his image. He's kind of physically the size of man, but his power is great. They're like, I don't get it. You know, we're like, one day you will, you'll get it. But though he is high, though he's exalted, he regards the lowly. It reminds me so many times throughout the scripture, this is quoted, he opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. He opposes, he opposes what is prideful in us. But when we humble ourselves, when we take a posture, he gives a grace. In one, ver- in one verse, it says, a greater grace is given to us. And you guys, we've used the, the definition of grace before. All that God is made available to us. 
All that God is, is made available to us. A greater grace is given to us when we kneel, when we, when we bow before him, when we take a posture of humility before him. And then in 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. I love that. So guys, get this picture. When we have dropped to our knees in reverence and we have kneeled for the Barak, it's the mighty hand of God that is outstretched on us. Do you guys understand? Can you get the picture of that? His hand is resting upon us. The mighty hand of God is resting upon us. When we kneel in humility before him, it's an incredible blessing when we humble ourselves. It's been said that uh, humility is a right estimate of who we are. It's a right estimate of ourselves. How many of you guys think you've got a pretty good estimate of yourself? Got a good ego going on, good self-esteem, you know, that they encourage us to have, positive self-esteem. Humility before God's mean means that I'm less. Do you guys understand the significance? It means I'm less. It means that I become inferior. I must submit myself before him. And I'm going to live my life in such a way that my posture is going to reflect his glory and not mine. That's what humility is. That we're living our lives. We are posturing ourselves in such a way that God gets the glory for the activity in our lives, not us. He's going to get the glory for what's going on, for everything good. For when we are in trials, when we're in tribulation, when we are being persecuted, and yet we remain strong. Who gets the glory for that? When we walk in humility, it's the Lord, and that's what it means. It's like John 3.30, I have, to, uh, I have to decrease, he must increase. We say that a lot around here. And it reminds me of a prayer that I pray over me and Tony and our family. I pray this all the time, Lord, give us a greater revelation of who you are. Because when my boys and when Emma Kate get a greater, revel- greater revelation of who God is, they get smaller in a good way. He gets bigger. He gets bigger. Lord, give us a greater revelation of who you are. Not just when we're at the mountains, not when we're staring at a, at a beautiful starry night, the majesty of creation around us, but in every day, ways that the Lord would give us, reveal to us more of you, more of you. We want to know more of you because when we begin to see more of him, we begin to understand our position in light of what he's done. You guys understand? You guys agree with that? It's so important. I love this in in, um, Andrew Murray's book. This was one of my favorite quotes. He said, true humility begins and finds its strength in the knowledge that it is God who works all in all. That our place is to yield to him in perfect resignation and dependence. In full consent to be and do nothing of ourselves. Now when you look at that definition, how many of you guys are measuring up to it? It was humbling to me to even read that and think, am I at a place of yielding? Am I, am I in a place of perfect resignation and dependence? Am I in full consent to do to be and do nothing in and of myself. A couple years ago, I had a friend come in from um, out of town, and she brought a friend with her, and they came to Soma. It's back when we were in the basement. And I think maybe I've shared this before. It was startling to me and convicting all at the same time. The friend that she brought um, doesn't know the Lord, wasn't raised in church, 
does not understand, not even sure she had heard the name Jesus, which is mind-blowing to me. Hadn't even heard the name Jesus until she became um, friends with my good friend. And um, Sean led a song that night, the one about I am nothing, I am nothing without you, you know. About, and we're declaring, and, and it was a sweet time. We're like, Lord, declaring I'm nothing, I am nothing without you. And she told my friend later, she said, uh, that really offended me. Because I am something. <laughs> and this girl was sweet, guys. I mean, she wasn't some, you know, arrogant witch. She was a sweet girl. She said, I am something. I have made something of my life. I'm about to be a doctor. I have a wonderful husband. We have a great life. I am not nothing. And I thought, oh man, we may not say that to ourselves or out loud, but we think it. We think it before the Lord because we are a very self-sufficient and independent and prideful people, aren't we? And our culture fosters that in that that in us. I, that, I give us that. I give us, that's the water we're swimming in. You know, we're going to be world changers. You are designed for greatness. I'm telling you, you ask kids now what they want to be when they grow up, and they don't say astronauts. They don't say doctors. They don't say um, teachers or housewives. They say, I want to be famous. I want to be famous. That it, they pulled kids and they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, I want to be famous. Isn't that something? I don't think I grew up with the idea of wanting to be famous. Did you guys? I think I actually grew up with the idea of keep me below the radar. <laughs> you know, I need to meet people watching. But that's our culture. That's the, even my kids, man, they would love to be rock stars. They would love it. They, they act like they are. They're rock stars. They're like, even this morning, <laughs> Cannon was doing something with his geckos, and he said, could we film this and put it on the internet? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what have we done? Everybody's a star. It was hilarious. But it's hard for us. It's hard for us in our culture because of what we're inundated with. But besides our culture, it's our pride. It's, it's, I mean, it's the, it's the original fall of man. Wanting to be our own God. Wanting to do things on our own, you know? I love truth. Humility means giving up self. Taking the place of perfect nothingness before God. I remember a youth pastor used to have a picture in his office. And it was a tombstone with the word self across it. Which is interesting because in my family line, in my, in my grandmother's side, their last name was self. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> Death to self. But I loved that picture. I loved it. I was like, man, what a reminder. Death to self. And that's what humility means. Giving up self. Taking the place of perfect nothingness before God. And there's been a lot of role models, I think, about all the different people through the ages that have been just beautiful examples of humility and of meekness. You know, of laying down their lives. A lot of martyrs. A lot of people who have given it up for Christ. But our true, our truest example is Jesus. And it is hard. We're not, we're going to have a hard time walking in humility, trying to find models of humility in the world. We have to look to Christ and it is only possible by the work of the cross. You guys realize that? I was thinking about how it says that, um, everyone must take up his cross. And I was thinking about the heaviness of the cross and what cross represents 
and how that brings us to our knees. The physical weight of the cross and how that should bring us to our knees. And we were to take it up. We're to take it up daily. But Jesus, it says in Philippians 2, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And we're to die too, you know? This isn't a youth camp message for you guys, okay? I'm not going to get you to have pieces of paper and write down the things that you have to die to and then come lay it at the altar or burn it, (laughs) which is even weirder. This is not a youth camp experience, guys. This is everyday, real life. And we're to die to ourselves. And Jesus is our perfect example for us to die to. I want you guys to uh, turn to Romans 6 real quick. In light of what I've just said, I love it whenever the Lord reveals himself to you and you can read a passage of scripture through that lens and it opens up to you in a whole new way. You guys love that feeling? You're like, I did not know it was meant like that. Or it's like a diamond, you know, you're like all the facets of it, of discovering the, discovering the scripture like that. I wanted to read a quote real quick by T.S. Eliot. It says, Humility is the most difficult of all virtues to achieve because nothing dies harder than the desire to think well of oneself. Isn't that true? Man, nothing dies harder than that, (laughs) than to think that we are so good. (laughs) The slightest little good we do. (laughs) Humility is the desire to be nothing so God can be all in all. And it's because of the work of the cross that that's possible. You guys read this with me. Starting at verse 1, chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? You guys seeing this in light of dying to self? Okay. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, you guys look at that. If we have become united with Christ in the likeness of his death, if we have died to ourself like Christ had died, Certainly, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. He who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When you think about humility and you think about what God, when we, we take that posture before him, when we, we bear the heaviness of the cross, 
And all that it implies for us, you guys, the cross implying death, burial, and then resurrection into new life. We see that humility is the key to victory in our lives. You guys seeing that? Humility becomes the key to victory. We all in here could list one or multiple things that we just wish we could get victory over. Do I have a witness in that? Whoa, I just want to get over this. And we'll get one thing dead and buried and something else will rise up in our lives. The Lord doesn't leave us alone, does he? He's always working on us. But humility is the key for the victory. Victory is a byproduct of obeying, of responding, of laying our lives down. It reminded me of, um, I was telling Tony, this reminds me when it says that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I was thinking about how when we decrease, when we get low, picture that, I'm not going to do that up here. I mean, I could if it's going to help you. I'll get down if you need the visual. But when we get low, when we posture ourselves, even physically, but, it, but our disposition, our attitude, our actions, when, when we posture ourselves low, we're not an easy target. Just like in war. I always, Revolutionary War time is one of my favorite times. And I hated the way they fought. Every movie you're like, why are you standing there? You know, they're just walking. <laughs> Shoot me. You know, that's how I was like, guerrilla warfare. That's, I love the Patriot because of that. It's like, come on, hide, get low. I hated that lining up, easy targets. And that's the picture I got when, when we are prideful. When we're not walking in humility, we become an easy target. Not just for the enemy, hello. Our inflated sense of self. When we become enticed and lured away by our own desires, that big self up, we are such an easy target for the enemy. Are you guys getting that? But when we're on our bellies before the Lord, when we've dropped in reverence and we say, mighty hand of God, rest on me. I want the blessing of your grace. I want all that you are made available to me. We are not an easy target. That is some serious camouflage. That is some serious guerrilla warfare when we are humbled. And we are also, and a lot of people, this will jack with your theology, but when we're humble, we're not an easy target for the Lord either. either. He opposes the proud. He opposes them. When we're prideful, you're forcing the hand of God in your life to bring you low. So I'm like, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to learn this in the lecture. I don't want to go on the field trip. I want to learn this right here, you know, right here in class. I want to learn the easy way on this one, Lord. And there is nothing, you guys, nothing that's going to keep us on our knees like gratitude. And I want to, this is what I want to finish up with, with you guys. Gratitude is what keeps us on our knees before the Lord. Having thankful hearts. Scriptures talk about Thanksgiving being the entrance into his presence. You guys realize that? 
says it here. It says it in, in Psalms 100, multiple places in the Word. Gratitude is our entrance into his presence. But I want to read this. This is so interesting. Matthew 5, 5 says, um, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. You guys know that? The Sermon on the Mount, right? It's the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. God blesses those who are humble. How many of you guys want the blessing of the Lord? You want that mighty hand of God resting on you, not opposing you, not slapping you around, resting on you. The blessings of the Lord. And you inherit the whole earth. And I always was like, what? What are we inheriting? Caldwell Zoo? What are we getting? What are we inheriting here? Well, I've also read another book this summer. I encourage you to get it. Get it. It's 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. She has a little, a little chapter in there about being, going lower. And it says, the humble are the laid low and bowed ones. The surprised ones with hands open to receive whatever he gives. He hands them the earth. He hands them the earth. And is it any wonder the word humility comes from the root word humus? Got any Latin scholars in here? Humus, the kind of earth that grows good crops. Okay? Humility comes from the word humus. Humus is the word that represents the kind of earth that's going to grow good crops. And let me tell you, my mom and I know what good earth is like and what bad earth is like because we live on sand flat road and we can't hardly grow a thing without taking so much work. So I'm like, I want some humus. Give me some humus. I want to grow good crops in my life and a tangibly Lord. We need some good earth. Praying for that. <laughs> Miraculously turn into some good stuff. God gives the earth to the humus people the humble ones. Humility is the good humus that grows gratitude. Get that picture in your mind. Humility is that good earth that grows gratitude and it will yield abundant joy. Who needs that? Man, I want abundant joy in my life. Let's backtrack. Where is it coming from? And I taught on joy a couple of weeks ago. Gratitude and humility. When we are humble, other virtues in our life are going to be able to give root and develop in our hearts. You guys realize that? When we um, are humble, these virtues arise. When we have an accurate assessment of who God is, when we've got a good estimate of who we are in light of what he's done, gratitude can spring forth in our lives. You guys understand? They're very similar postures for us. The very act of giving thanks is an act of humility, is it not? When we say thank you, we're saying, I could not have done this without you. We're saying, I could not have gotten this gift. I could not have received this. I could not have walked out this trial, this perseverance without your help. It's saying, I appreciate. Is that not what a thank you is? It's appreciating. It's taking a posture of humility that says, Thank you for thinking of me. But prideful hearts aren't thankful. And I was laughing when I was telling Tony this. It reminds me of that Brian Regan when he says, thank you. (laughs) Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Thank you from the depths of my soul. (laughs) It'll come to you later. But prideful hearts don't say thank you. I was saying, Tony, what do prideful hearts say? When we're prideful... They say, you better believe you should have given me that. 
<laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's the biggest thank you you can muster because I deserved it. Thank you. And saying, you owed me this. I deserved it. I earned it. Uh, better yet, prideful hearts say, it's my right to get good things from you, God. Or to other people. Yeah, they should have given me that. It's my right. And we will demand things. And we'll call things down. And is our motive out of humility? Or is it pride? Prideful hearts don't say thank you. Pride slays thanksgiving. I want you guys to think about that. Pride seriously slays it. It kills it. It kills thanksgiving in our heart. I read this. A proud man is seldom, as great, is seldom a grateful man. Think about this. You might be thinking of yourself. You could be thinking of someone else. I want you to think of yourself, though. A, pride, a proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. It's hard to be grateful when you think you ain't getting enough. It's hard to, be, to bow in humility and say, Thank you for the not enough. Thank you that even though this doesn't seem like it's going to stretch to the end of the month, I'm going to thank you for it. Can I get a witness on that? And it says, I'm going to take whatever you give me. That is gratitude. And a heart of gratitude is what is going to keep us in our, on our knees before the Lord. And I was thinking, well, I wanted to close with this. I was thinking of something else that she said. Gratitude lures humility out of the shadows. When we're thankful, it lures it out of those places. Because to receive a gift, the knees must bend humble. And the hand must lie vulnerably open. And the will must bow to accept whatever the giver chooses to give. That's humility. And that's a heart of gratitude. Lord, whatever you choose to give me, whatever you choose to give, I'll receive. Whatever struggle, whatever blessing, I'm going to choose to receive it. I'm going to bow my will and I'm going to receive it. And when we're humbled and grateful, you guys, we are bowed down in the presence of the great I am. I want you to think about that. When we are humbled, when we are grateful, we are instantly in the presence of the great I am. And I've always, I've always liked that idea, like thinking about the I am. And it reminds me in the Gospels, you know, when um, Judas is betraying, he, he's already betrayed Jesus with, for the 30 pieces of silver, and he's going to go and, and going to betray with the kiss, you know. And the soldiers say, are you him? And he says, I am. And what happens? They get knocked to the ground. And it even happens again. They get up. Oh, what just happened? And he, they say, are you him? And he says, I am. The power of the present God. He's present tense. Do you guys realize that? When we are humble before the Lord, when we are when we have hearts of thanksgiving and gratitude, 
the present for us is the presence of God. We're not regretting and lamenting the past. We're not feverishly, violently trying to attain the future with what we don't have. We're stopping and thanks turns now into a sanctuary. You guys realize that? It turns it immediately into an opportunity to worship and to be in the presence of a present God. It's so hard for us. We are so limited and confined to the clock. It's so hard for us to understand God being outside of time and that he is present. He is with us. He is the great I am. And it reminds me, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 1611. Sean, you and the band can come on up. We had asked that they have some ministry time at the end. If you guys want to come up, Psalm 1611. I love this. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, I want you guys to look at this. In your right hand, the mighty hand of God, the hand that rests on the kneeled, the bowed low. You guys getting this picture? Our pleasures forever. There's so many things we are desiring for our lives. So much, there's so many virtues. There's so many things we would love to have acquired in our heart. Character built and developed. But it is in the presence of the Lord. And humility and gratitude is what will keep us there. In his presence, moment by moment. I want you guys to stand. My challenge to you guys is this. One, it's to respond today. It's to respond to the Lord. We have time. Responding to him. Making now a sanctuary. Being in the presence of the great I am. And I challenge you guys not just to respond today, but taking moments in your life. When you've taken up that cross and you receive the heaviness of that cross. And you allow the work of the cross to bend your knees before the Lord. Some of you guys need to get prostrate before the Lord. Some of you need to get on your face before him. I say this all the time to my kid. A right action will change a wrong feeling every time. We need to respond to the Lord in his goodness. Not just because like verses five, four and five are saying in there, three, four and five, that because he's great and he is, and we will respond to his greatness as creator, as king of kings. We respond to what he's done for us, you guys. But we're going to respond to what he gives us in each moment. Every moment of every day can be a sanctuary of praise. Every moment of every day, when you have a heart of gratitude that keeps you on your knees, you are inviting the presence, the very great I am, into that moment. And there's fullness of joy. There's joy, what we're desperately lacking. There's joy. And we begin to thank Him 
for the littlest things, for the biggest things. We begin to thank Him for trials. We begin to thank Him for suffering because we've bowed. We've extended a vulnerable hand and said, I'll take whatever the giver gives. And I'm not going to demand based on what I think I deserve. Because guys, we deserve nothing. If he gave us nothing else, it was enough. But he loves, delights to take every moment that you say thanks and enter that time with you. And bring a fullness of joy to extend that mighty hand on you. Lord, we just thank you.